0: This is Glass City Humanist, a show about humanism, humanist values, by a humanist. Here is your host, Douglas Berger. Our guest today, Michael Warner, is a longtime
1: member of the Unitarian Church and a past president of the American Humanist Association. He believes an effort to finally update the church's bylaws will extinguish the strong history of humanism and leave the church open to the evils of postmodernism. Werner also believes that the church is abandoning enlightenment principles of reason science tolerance of, and affirming the inherent worth of all people and replacing it with work on social and racial justice issues
0: is that really true glass city humanist is an outreach project of the secular humanists of western lake erie building community through compassion and reason for a better tomorrow
1: all right. With us today is Michael Werner. He is a co-founder of Smart Recovery, past president of the American Humanist Association, and is currently a member of the AHA chapter Humanists and Freethinkers of Cape Fear. Thank you for joining us today, Michael. Well, thank you. It's, it's delightful to be here. Uh, the main reason I had for inviting you on the show was, you know, we're Facebook friends. And I had seen a Facebook post that you had made recently that complained about a proposed change to the bylaws of the Unitarian Universalist Association. And that's the main umbrella group for most of the UU congregations in this country. Um, I do want to say, though, point out at the beginning, I am not a Unitarian. Um, I do have some friends and acquaintances who are Unitarians. And so... I'm not gonna say I'm an expert on any of this stuff, but basically I just want to know um, briefly or however you want to get your point across, what is the the issue that you have with the current proposals?
2: The current proposals gives up what historically has been the mission of the, and the focus of Unitarian Universalism. It has always been by all the past historical textbooks, a a religion that was based around, focused on freedom of religion, but mostly about the freedom of the uh, the rational mind, of using reason in religion. And um, that has spawned, of course, humanism in the United States and worldwide, as we know it today. So that's why it's so important. But the latest proposal, what it's doing, it's giving up the traditional values of in fact, they're taking out things like reason and science and humanism and replacing them with a more of a social action agenda. But how we got there is, is really important in, in, to understand because it's been a long history. If I can tell tell everybody a little bit of the history, I think it's, it's important to share this. Yeah, um, if,
1: if you want to just kind of just touch on, on the history in general.
2: Yeah, uh well, keep in mind that Unitarianism started off uh, uh based on freedom of religion. And uh it was the three pillars of liberalism are freedom, reason, and tolerance. And it's a three-legged stool, and all three of those are important. Uh the um the Unitarians, though, were moving more and more towards humanistically oriented, in other words, man-oriented religion, and uh well uh, uh Ralph Waldo Emerson was a Unitarian minister. He pushed a uh, transcendentalism where God wasn't a, uh, a supernatural being, but was totally naturalized. He called it the Oversoul because he didn't know anything. But in 1849, with the advent of Darwin's thesis, uh, it changed everything for him and all kinds of intellectuals at that time, because now we had a story that was different. That really gave us our history, our origins of who we are, our uh, all of our aspects of who we are as human beings. And uh, after that, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson joined with some other Unitarian ministers to form what was called the Religious, uh, the Free Religious Association. That died, but it kept on going because a lot of the Unitarian ministers, especially in the Midwest they were called heretics, There was called the Western Conference, uh, they broke away almost. It was very close to a schism because they wanted to preach a, a totally non-theistic religion, where you use religion, the functional aspects of religion, which are primarily around uh, ethics and community. If you, if you go to any theological school today, they'll tell you, forget about all your theology or learning. What your job is as a parish minister is is building an intentional community. So anyway, this is going on, and it was a conflict with the Unitarianism. Like I said, it was almost a schism, but in 1887, that schism was avoided by uh, William Channing Gennett, who gave what's called the rule of polity, where each church was independent and could uh, allow whatever it wanted. That allowed the Midwestern uh, Association the pre-religious associations to prosper alone and not be under the wing of the um, Unitarian Universalist Association. That grew. And keep in mind at that time, all the intellectuals, the philosophers, the religious uh, people, they're all trying to learn more and more about what science is telling us about what the world really is like. In 1917, a guy named John Dietrich joined with another Unitarian, uh, in Iowa, by the way, in the Midwestern area. And uh, that's where the term humanism as we know it today was about, was developed as a non-theistic, holistic view of who we are in our world. It's a it's an um, integrated worldview. It's what the Europeans called a life stance. And that's the word I like to use, it's a life stance. It's not just a philosophy, it's not a religion. I think a life stance says what it is. In 1933, a lot of Unitarian ministers and philosophers, half of them philosophers, half of them Unitarians, they wrote the um, uh, Humanist Manifesto. Met what's called Humanist Manifesto One, and it put down in one document everything that, that we knew at that time. And of course, it evolved in Humanist Manifesto Two II and Three. Now we have that um, was developed, and I was part of that. In 2000, but at any rate, at that that uh, juncture, that was in 1933, and I knew a couple of the writers of that, and um, uh, they saw this as the big idea that could transform the United States from a theocracy, theocratic type of country, to something that's more human oriented. They had these big dreams, but it was in the in the depths of the depression. And they went along and had a newsletter. And then in 1941, the AHA was formed. Um, Meanwhile, all the Unitarian ministers, uh, the humanism was growing by leaps and bounds within the Unitarian Church. And so so much so, that it was the fastest growing religion in the 60s. People don't realize that. Because it had a single focus of, of humanism. In fact, um, in 1961, a report showed only 2.9 percent of Unitarians believed in the supernatural. But in 1961, also they combined with the with the um, uh, the um, uh, the uh, Universalist, and that was quite of a change because they were more universal salvation, but was re, shall we say, repurposed to mean radical toleration. And that was the start of a lot of the problems. Still though, in 1989, 73% of the Unitarians uh, said they were humanists or atheists. The Unitarian Association peaked in 1968 with 177,431 members. But because of a 1968 clash, because of the black uh, power, um, they lost 20% of the the members in two years. Uh, it went from and from now from 1968 till now, it's gone from 0.88% of the population to 0.51% now.
1: Uh, you said that there was a conflict with uh the black power groups. Um, can you explain that or go into a little yeah, bit more detail under, it's what, it's what very complex? It? It's very complex. And I talked to some of the people who were involved with that.
2: Uh, but there was what's called the BAC group and the BAWA group, and it's basically the black separatists and the uh, integrationists. The black separatists wanted to have a uh, have the Unitarians donate twenty five percent of all of their funds uh, to black power groups without any control whatsoever. In other words, um, there was not going to be any oversight or anything. And it was a time when the Unitarian Church was basically floundering financially. And in 68, it reached ahead because, um, uh, you know, they said that they just never, they made a vote to do that in previous uh, General Assembly. But then in 68, they said we couldn't uh, com- commit to that anymore because uh, we don't have the money, frankly. Not that we wouldn't like to do that. And so uh, a lot of black leadership, there was only 1% of uh, Uh, Blacks at that time in the Unitarian Association. But anyway, they left, but a lot of people left in that time period. But also, it was just a time of volatility. It was the age of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and new age was coming on board. And that was dominating and also affecting things. A great, well, all of this, I'm going to be going through all of this history up to today. It's a great book. is Kurt Anderson's book, Fantasyland. Or how we in five hundred years how we got here. It explains he wrote it actually right before Trump, but it explains Trump and all the, all the other changes that have occurred.
1: Now, when, when you said that, when you said that this uh, Black Power group had wanted twenty five percent funding from the UUA, uh, what what was that for? I mean, what what brought what participated them? First of all, asking for that. And another reason why did it? Why was it even considered? What, what did they do something? Well, because they have... it was a
2: strong activist movement uh, for civil rights, and they thought, well, the best way to do that is to, uh, the blacks didn't want to integrate in with the uh, Unitarians, but they said well, we want your money, and so they were going to give
1: them the money. So it <laughs> was to so it was to form... wanted to do
2: so, but then they had to change their mind because of lack yeah. of money.
1: Yeah, but it was to form their own. Uh, black Unitarian Church. No, no, not even Black Unitarian
2: Church. It was just going to be going to our groups.
1: Oh, okay. That just seems odd that that the UUA It was UUA a different was gonna... time.
2: I yeah. lived through it.
1: Okay. I was in the middle of
2: it. <laughs> it was a wild time. Um, keep in mind, they were burning down cities in 1968. <laughs> At any anyway, rate, um, uh, what happened, and this is what's interesting, if I was going to sum it up in one word, or three words, it was a turning away from the Enlightenment, the Enlightenment uh, aspects of freedom and reason and tolerance, and especially those values that brought us where humanism is, you know, uh, enjoying the, the fruits of uh, science and reason, uh it's the betterment of all, of you know, all of humanity. Uh, also at this time. Postmodernism was rising. There was all of these conflicting forces. Postmodernism was rising, which at that time was just a very minor thing. But postmodernism says that that uh, all truth is really just a social construction. There is no truth. Even Pi, believe it or not, is, is was challenged. Uh, and that there is no truth. Uh, science is, is just a tool for power and control. Of minorities, um, it was. It came out of um, the. Um, it really. It's interesting. You got to go all the way back to what happened in in Russia in the 1930s, because during the 30s the gulags were going on, but people didn't believe until about 37, 38, and then finally the history or, or the the uh, the information was very limited coming out, but by 37, 38. It was pretty obvious it was true. that There was uh, 30 million people dying because of the humanists, of the um, uh, communists. Uh, certain, a lot of humanists were com- were communists at that time, including Corliss Lombard, the president of the AHA. Um, and um, some of them, like Paul Kurtz, etc., were communists as well. But turned away from that later on. That's a whole story in itself. But what's interesting that happened in Europe is the, Euro, the academics in Europe, especially at what's called the Frankfurt School for New Scotial Thought, said the reason communism failed and did all those terrible things wasn't because of communism. It wasn't because communism was inherently bad. It was the enlightenment. It was the enlightenment where it uses reason turning against itself and its systems of power and control. And a book was written in uh, 1949, I believe it was, uh, the Dialectic of the Enlightenment by Horkheimer and Dorno. that started kind of the, the whole thing. Uh, Foucault then later came on and said, everything is just power and control, there is no truth. Uh, Derrida said it was uh, nothing but truth. But by the way, interesting. later on in their life, they all admitted they were humanists in the end. Um, but anyway, um, during that period, it was a pretty volatile time, but very quiet in the, the academia. But later on, various groups, uh marginalized groups, uh feminists, but especially black power groups, uh got that, that information. And that's where it kind of sits today, because it reper- it actually pretty much died off in philosophy and everything else, but got new life in sociology. But uh let me come back to where we're going on the Unitarian Universalism. What I meant in Unitarian Universalism is that there was a m- a mindless mindless uh, tolerance uh, promoted, where it was a turning away from the Enlightenment, and um, uh, you know there's an old saying maybe you've heard, it. I'm sure you have, you can open your mind so far your brains fall out, and that's kind of what happened. Everybody said, well open up your minds, you know, and I, all my friends, you know, were into Est and the Forum and all kinds of crystals and everything else. I was one of these weird bo- People, I was a humanist that believed in science and reason. <laughs> I was an oddball the, the whole time, but they were also in the in the theological schools. They were taking God as a metaphor, a God as a metaphor just for uh, anything that you want, and uh, it got into what's called I call the religious redefinition game, where God or church or anything else that you want to say, it's just redefined the way you want, and especially it was was a uh, a, a whole thing in the theological schools called process theology, and that is where Unitarians are getting their, uh, shall we say, basic fundamental theology today. And Charles Horschel, Shorn, and Alfred Norris Whitehead were basically saying that God isn't something out there, uh, uh, you know, up in the sky or anything or a thing. He is a process that is happening within us. Uh, God is imminent, not outside of us. And so a lot of people got into that, but got more and more into what I would call fuzzy theism. In other words, God is just about anything that you want it to be. But, you know, in language, uh, definitions matter. And in this case, the uh, the, the definitions were getting uh, confused people and don't give any people grounding. Hopefully, religion is supposed to give people grounding, a uh, grounding for their lives, where we came from, how do we live our lives, how do we react to each other, where we're going? Uh, but now it's all over. And so Unitarianism basically became a religion without religion. Uh, it's not dealing with fundamentals. And of course, during that was one of the things that humanism, why it grew so much, because humanism is giving some foundations of the best we know and it's changes. It evolves like science does. We learn more every day, but um, that was a kind of abandoned, that kind of thing. Um, The functional definition of uh, community was most important uh, at that time for a while. But then, uh, and it became really, I joke, uh, the church of the larger solipsism. It's whatever you want to believe, or the church of anything goes, as some people would say. And that that ideology of tolerance uh, persisted up till today. But what's changed more recently is that... um, uh, Instead of just becoming like all liberal churches, which was coming, before it had a really definite identity of reason and religion. But now they abandon that uh, in that idolatry of a tolerance. Uh, So it was really just a one-trick pony and not having a balance. And I wrote my book. um, I don't know if you can see it or not. But um, anyway, it's called Regaining Balance, the History, the Evolution of the UUA. And I give this whole history, and by the way, you can go on Amazon and get an electronic book on that. I think it's only $4. But I give this whole history that I'm getting here and more on what's happened. But today, what's happened is uh, uh, critical race theory has become a uh, sort of a dogma. some would even say a religion, many say it's a religion. Such religion, uh, such that the old ideas of tolerance we're thrown out the window, and we move from universal acceptance, in other words, the inherent worth and dignity of all people, that both humanists and Unitarians avowed, and they're throwing that away for what, what's more identity politics, or identity where uh, we move towards, um, It's only uh, it's, we only view the world instead of looking at greater humanity. We're just looking at his as power battles between other groups, various groups.
1: Well, you, you um, do know that critical race theory is not a humanist frame of that issue, right? That's a right, conservative right. frame. All right. right that that that's the term that the conservatives use as a dog whistle yeah. for people that uh, don't appreciate diversity and inclusion. Exac- exactly,
2: and that's the problem that. we bring. The- that's right. the problem bring this subject up because the, same, the, same the conservatives with, are using
1: it as a right, dog whistle. The, same, the same as identity politics. That's also a conservative frame to be disingenuous against people who want to support inclusive, being inclusive and diversity exactly. and exactly. things like that. So you're not saying that the UUA is supporting critical race theory or identity politics, right? Is that is that what you're saying? Uh,
2: no, I am saying that.
1: Hmm, interesting. I'm saying that.
2: I'm saying what I'm saying. That it, keep in mind that's an academic term.
1: You know, well, it's criticism. it's it's an academic term for uh, for colleges and law schools, not for general public consumption. It's a dog right, whistle. But, but
2: that's but but whatever you want to call it. There's a whole framework of understanding. It goes back to postmodernism that there is no no truth, and it's all... Well,
1: I, I have to disagree with you there, too, Michael. Uh, the critical race theory as it's used in the legal profession is based on facts and reality and reason.
2: Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. No, no. Keep in mind that that's the dilemma we, we're facing here, because many of the things that we espouse as humanists uh, in, uh, against racism, et cetera, are absolutely perfectly right. But what's happened now is the unit, the Unitarian Universalism, has stepped over into a, an area where they've given up the values of humanism and universal uh, acceptance of all people to um, uh, really it, it, it's uh, a, 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 just a social activist organization. The okay. new well, fund- I, I do fundamental do... things that they're they're proposing is to throw all of the things of reason and inherent uh, worth and dignity and just have it focus on, uh, on uh, race and uh, identity.
1: Well, I, what I did, I did want to talk about the proposal, um, cause you did, you did, uh, provide a copy in your Facebook post, right. uh, for article, it's called article two principles and purposes. And, um, When I was talking to uh, a minister that's in the UUA, he said that the last time that this article two was updated was in 1987. And then there's another part in the bylaws that says it has to be updated every 15 years. So it's late, very late. But under it it said, and this is the box that says under consideration for replacing the, what they call the seven, seven principles or seven pillars I think they was it the seven pillars replacing those with uh, values of love, interdependence, equity, generosity, justice, evolution, pluralism slash diversity. Now those sound like humanist values to me. In fact, many of them appear on the new uh, ten commitments that the AHA is promoting. Right. So how how does that how does that coalesce with what you're saying that they're doing away with that with humanism because they're not explicitly saying it's humanism is that the, the issue
2: that but also the fact that they're giving up the uh, the con- they're, they're giving up the concept of reason in religion
1: and why and again I, I i don't want to sound dumb but why does there need to be reason in religion
2: that doesn't have to be. But it was their trademark. That was the one thing that set Unitarians apart from other religions, is having being focused, not entirely. And keep in mind that values are such that, um, I go back to the greatest philosopher in the 20th century to me was uh, Isaiah Berlin. And he coined, he's the one who coined the term pluralism. And he said that all values are pluralistic, but they are in radical conflict with each other. And if there's no one of them, it's it's totally uh, supreme over others. And there's always necessary trade-offs. And so it's all trade-offs. What's happened, though, we've got this trade-off that we had reason in religion, not as the Godhead or the single, but with other ones. But now we're giving up reason in there. And it's, you know that's you know, if that's going to be what they want, that's fine but it was the one thing that did stand out where it was a better home for humanists, where it used to be 89% of people were humanists in the UUA. It's certainly less than 30% uh, at this point.
1: That leads me then to a big question for you. If the, the Unitarians are moving away from humanism, uh why are you fighting so hard to save it?
2: No, um, well, I think it's a loss, frankly. In my book, I talk about that. <laughs> uh uh it, you know, I could see it coming in my book, but um I think it's lost. but I think it's important to at least remember that aspect of it. Who knows? It may come back, I don't know. But um there's an important loss there. Um, and maybe you know, uh, It has value, what it's doing right now. It certainly has high value of of espousing maybe a focus of religion. It's totally focused on social uh, justice. That's what it is right now. But it gives up all those fundamental aspects of life that people want. And today, there's a lot of people, I believe, especially atheists that leave religion, etc., and they don't know what to believe. And that's why I developed this other book, What Can We Believe If We Don't Believe in God? And uh, because you can end up with enemy where you say, "Well, I don't believe in God." But well, what grounds you? What is your intent and purpose? How do you see your place in the universe? How does the world work around you? But um, if you're not Unitarians, now are abandoning that search for what they what they what was called abandon the search for truth and meaning.
1: Now, uh, why? Um let me see if I can phrase this correctly so it doesn't sound clunky. Um, why can't the UUA do both? Why can't they promote reason and religion and work on social justice issues as part of their body of governance? That's is, the perfect is what, is what I'm seeing that they're attempting to do.
2: That, that's, no, That would no, be nice if it was. I would love that to happen, but that's not what's happened. They've abandoned the... They've adopted a postmodern uh, version of uh, life uh, where there is no truth, and we're just all in these power battles. Um, I, I'm not, you know. You know I I, I, t- I teach classes. I taught classes, by the way, uh, in uh, University of Chicago and other places on postmodernism. I got a, a library behind me with probably 200 books on postmodernism, so I know it real well. <laughs> but I but I want to see. I want to see grounding for people because there's a lot of people who are ungrounded. And I see this especially a lot of times when I do it to work uh, with Smart Recovery as one of the founders, and um, after people give up, which is their one and only, or which becomes their one and only high value. Just what Isaiah Berlin was saying, you can't have, or if you screw up your life. We want a balance of values. And that's what my book is about, regaining balance. But we're not there. Right now, it's completely skewed uh, only as a social justice organization, which is good. I mean, it'll do a lot of good, but it, it still leaves out that that portion of people who do want uh, to, the, that inherent search for worth and dignity.
1: Well, I came to humanism back in the 90s. Uh, I think you remember Larry Rika. Yeah. Um, he He recruited me, as it were, into humanism. And one of the things I checked out was the unitarians at the time because at the time i thought yes one needed to go to church Um, i had just become an atheist and moved to being a humanist because it answered more of my personal views than just being an atheist and i checked it out and unfortunately the congregation that i checked out was not welcoming to humanists or atheists and that was a bone of contention for many years when i was living in columbus was uh in fact when i was president of the humanist community of central ohio um, i was invited to one of their sunday forums one time and that was after the service and they bring speakers in and i had a gentleman who was a buddhist uh, member of the church uh, challenge me on the scientific method telling me that it wasn't the way to find answers that it wasn't any better than any other, uh, discovery of the truth. And he said, he said, scientific method couldn't answer. And he used an example of sour milk on a stoop in Ireland that soured by leprechauns. And that there would be no scientific method to discover whether or not that that actually was true. (laughs) And so I, I distanced myself from the Unitarian Church at that time. And so this was probably 20 years ago. And so, you know, I just, I think that, that, you know, and, and then I, I've read, I've read your book, the, the Rebalancing, and I agreed with the part about the God talk. Um, and then also, too, I'm a humanist. I don't believe that there should be church, humanist churches. I did, it's just not for me. And I think a lot of nuns are like that as well is they don't want organized religion. You know, they may believe in a supernatural being, maybe not, but they don't want to go to a building on Sunday and sing hymns or have rituals. And so but, I, know, I, I think it's... But
2: for some people that do, that's Some fine. people do.
1: Right.
2: But right. keep in mind that if you've been to one Unitarian church, you've been to one. Right. There are some right. Unitarian churches that are very totally theistic. You walk in there, and my God, the God talking is overwhelming. Right. There's other ones like the First Unitarian Church in, in um, uh, Minneapolis, uh, the, the founder and father of, uh, uh, of humanism. Uh, if you bring up God, you know, the church I belong to in Charlotte, North Carolina, if, if you brought up God, it would throw out laughter. Mm-hmm. But it's that's what's changed. It's not a welcoming home uh, for those. Um, and uh, I've been a president of two Unitarian churches. I taught at the Medieval Lombard the uh, Theological school at the University of Chicago. Uh, so you know I've seen all different sides of it. Um, I gave up my shall I say my faith <laughs> I'll use the word trust in Unitarian Universalism went up in Chicago a Unitarian Church I was there they brought in a woman who's who um, who was a grade school educated uh, depressed self-confessed depressive. Who mixed herbs in her um, in her um, kitchen uh, and sold them for four hundred dollars an hour? Uh, she would sell these herbs and could cure AIDS and hepatitis C. When I raised a stink about that, I was told I was intolerant. That's when I said, "Okay, fine, I'm done."
1: <laughs> so she was selling that in the church. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of illegal
2: because I protested against, I was intolerant.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's illegal for one thing, but yeah, that's weird. Um, But uh, anyway, so why don't we uh, move to kind of wrap this up? uh, uh, Because it's been very informative. I've been very appreciative. Uh, If you want to what 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 do you want to see happen next in this process? Because it's going to happen this this. Rehashing the article too—that's going to happen.
2: Also, there's a whole bunch of other things going on there too. Okay, to talk about one is remember I mentioned the law of polity, where each congregation could determine its own future, etc. That it's never had centralized control. It's an association. Remember, it's not a denomination; it's association of churches. But now they're saying that uh, you have to take direction from the top, and if you're not in uh, alliance with what they say, then uh, you can get dismembered, or not dismembered. You can be disbarred from your from being a minister, and that's happened. Uh, there's a whole lot going on under the surface. Most of the congregation's uh, uh, adherents, they don't know about all of these battles that are going on. Uh, I'm on several Facebook groups of uh, so we say discontented Unitarians about all of this. What I'd like to see is, uh, I'd like to see some balance, I'd like to see a balance again where reason is brought into in the fold. Uh, I think there are people who need, all of us need a sense of community, whether it's a humanist community, you know, a humanist group or whatever, but we all need community. Studies show that you live longer, healthier, happier lives with community of some sort, But we need to also, we need to have grounding in our lives. We need to, something that, that uh, you know, the definition of religion comes from religion, means religio, meaning bind together, binds people together. Right now, we're, the whole country, I don't need to tell you, we're all over the damn place. And, uh, and uh, somehow we've got to bring it together. And uh, Unitarians had, uh, I thought we had the best of all worlds, one time where we had both a good community, but also, um, we gave community, but also good intellectual humanism. We've lost that. So we have to move on. I think we have to um, realize that the world on the left and the right has got crazier and crazier. It's gotten, um, you know, there's no middle ground. As, uh, 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 William Blake said, the center does not hold. And that concerns me. I'd like to see that center holding better. I'd like to, uh, I'd like for reason and tolerance and uh, to uh, take hold again. And uh, uh, so the the situations going on regarding, uh, um, like in my community, I I go to, it, it, I'm in Charlotte, in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, and the Proud Boys line up at the back of the room, you know, at the uh, education meetings and board of election meetings with their guns and everything strapped and everything, and body armor. It's just pathetic. You know, we got that. But then we also have the crazies on the left, too, that we have to deal with. It's like everybody's kind of lost their mind and <laughs> all this. Uh, somehow we got to get back together to some somewhat... Thinking about each other with love and, and understanding, but also reason and using reason and science as the best tools for understanding how to advance ourselves.
0: Do you like what you hear? Would you like to support the show so we can make it better? You can write a review for podcast apps that allow reviews. You can share our website, glasscityhumanist.show with your friends, and you can donate to the show using the donate link on the website. Any support is appreciated.
1: Well, if you've just uh, seen our interview with Michael Werner, uh, who was the past president of the AHA, talking about uh, an issue that he is uh, very important to him, uh, the re at, looking at the article two of the um, UUA bylaws. And so I wanted to do this, this part here that I'm doing right now, separate from the interview. This is gonna be like an editorial. Um, these are my views. Um, it has nothing to do with what Michael is doing. Uh, he brings up some good points. I, I read his book. And I do agree with some of the points that he made about Unitarianism. That's, that's the main reason why I'm not a Unitarian, is the God talk. And I just don't believe that humanists need a church. But that's my personal opinion. And I know that some humanists do attend churches, uh, Unitarian churches. And I don't have an issue with that. That's great. Uh, it's not for me. So I just want to get that out of the way. And and I know some people are going to think that this makes makes me biased. I'm not at all. Um, some of the things that I do want to talk about in this little segment here that I'm doing right now is some of the things that Michael brought up in his interview. Uh, one of the things that I brought up, mentioned to him or asked him about was about uh, the million dollars that was supposed to go to the black power group in the late 60s. And I asked him specifically, you know, what were they going to do with that money? And he didn't know, or he claimed that he didn't know. He said that he was, you know, around in the UU church at the time and when all this happened. And and so I had to do some research. So I want to give some kind of context to this, okay, To to explain why there's uh, a race issue, a racial justice issue in the UUA. And we're going to have to go back in history to the march on Selma during the civil rights struggle. Uh that was uh there's been movies about it. Um Martin Luther King Jr was there. um, um John John Lewis, the Uh, just recently died, uh, uh, passed away congressman. He was a student um, civil rights leader at the time. He was involved in that. Um, And what has been mentioned in the past, especially like in some of the fictional accounts, the the movies and TV shows about the Selma March, is that there was a segment of Ministers from other faith groups that were part of the the march and the and the movement itself in Selma at the time, and one of those was the Unitarians, and one of the Unitarians, um, um, James Reverend James Reeb, uh, he was a universal uh, Unitarian Universalist minister, and he was demonstrating in Selma with the with the African Americans, and he was. Uh, in Selma and he got beat up by a bunch of racist white people and he was beaten so severely that he died from his wounds days later and what that did was that got the UUA going in a, like in an emergency crisis mode and two or three hundred people um, about two hundred people uh, went to Uh, Selma joined the march and the protesters in Selma in in response to one of their own being murdered. Uh, He's considered a martyr in the Unitarian Church. Anyway, so there was this big tumult after that as well in the country over civil rights, and it permeated into the UUA. And Hayward Henry, who was chair of the newly formed Black Unitarian Universalist Caucus said, we Unitarian Universalists like to keep saying, but we went to Selma with you. Why are you rejecting us? Why why are African-Americans rejecting us? In Selma, a black man named Jimmy Jackson was killed. And at the time you could count the number of Unitarians in Selma on your fingers. A few weeks later, a white man was killed and all Unitarians ran to Selma. Racism, that's what it was, and that's what Hayward Henry said, all right? So they had this issue with, with racism, and they had this, uh, decided to try to talk about it, and they were gonna have this conference, yeah. It said that after there was riots in 1967, and after the 1967 riots, the Reverend Homer Jack, director of the UUA Department of Social Responsibility, called an emergency conference on Unitarian Universalist response to the Black Rebellion, is what it was called. Some 135 participants, including 37 African Americans, gathered at New York's Biltmore Hotel. Some were chosen by district executives, others were UUA and UU service committee staff, committee members, Black theological students, and observers from other faiths. Whether or not that fairly represented the denomination was hotly debated is still a matter of contention. So as this emergency conference on Unitarian Universal Response to Black Rebellion started, 30 of the African-American participants uh, broke away from the meeting and formed uh, the uh, Black Unitarian Universalist Caucus. And they came up with a list of demands. And one of the demands was that, that the Unitarians form establish a Black Affairs Council to be appointed by Black Unitarian Universalist Caucus and funded for four years at $250,000 a year. So that's the million dollars that that Michael was talking about that, that caused the split. And it said the funds would go for grants to fight political repression and economic exploitation in the black community and support black cultural expressions and community education. In addition to overseeing the grants, the proposed group would allow members to explore their identities as Black UUs. The late filmmaker, Henry Hampton, a Black Caucus supporter, who was then the UUA's Director of Information said, Black people at the conference became full-fledged liberals for the first time, able to determine their course. So eventually, in a um, UUA General Assembly, uh, after this, after this Biltmore conference, they passed the resolution pay, to pay out this money. All right, and I'm I'm going to put a link into a, a UU World article that I got this information from. You can read the fine details, but basically, what it was is that this this uh, black caucus was going to. They wanted to have a Black Affairs Council. And they were going to work on um, issues and ideas that were specific to the black community. And it was gonna be funded by this $250,000 a year. And there was a lot of tumult and a lot of uh, stuff about that. So when that happened then, then at the time the UUA was having financial difficulties and they tried to renege on that deal several times. And eventually, they still were having to give this, because in the General Assembly, the way the UUA works, the General Assembly sets the policy, and it's voted on by the members that are present at the General Assembly. And so if they vote to promise this money, then this money has to be paid. It's not something that the board of the church can just say, no, we're not going to do it. That's how UUA works, okay? So that they pay out this money now. Eventually, uh, the need, the, the 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 reason why this all got going was uh, militant uh, black liberation movement kind of simmered down. Uh, there was less of a need of the UA to fund programs in uh, the urban areas, as it were, and so it kind of all kind of went away. The 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 Black Caucus dissolved, uh, went into a Black Humanist Fellowship, and that eventually went away. Um, but this, this, it wasn't a split. And, and I want to explain this, all right. And Michael touched on it in his interview. Was that that you had se- separationist, he said, and integrationist, all right. And there was a lot of longtime members of the Unitarian Church who were African Americans. And a lot of them joined the Unitarian Church because it was not segregated. And they felt that creating this Black Affairs Council was separating. That's why they called them the separatists. And it wasn't that they wanted to break away from the UUA. In fact, they were affiliates for a number of years. Is that there was certain areas of the black experience in the UUA that wasn't being addressed by the majority white members of the UUA. And so these black African Americans decided that they needed a separate group to experience to to express their their African American experience within the church and to work on that and try to alleviate poverty and work on those specific programs that only that they could reach because they were African Americans, they could reach other African Americans. All right. So it's not a lot of longtime church members were like, this is gonna break the church. And it's not it didn't break the church, but there's been a lot of lot of uh you know, the 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 conflict has been felt for 50 years still. In the 80s, they had, I think it was probably similar to a a conciliation commission trying to look at what they did and how they worked and what went wrong and all this stuff. Harvard University has a whole entire section in their library based on black empowerment and the Unitarians with uh, different exhibits and, and documents and things like that. And I'll throw all those links up in the show. But anyway, so it wasn't just some uppity black people wanting money from the UUA. No, it wasn't anything like that. You know, it wasn't trivial at all. And it was something that, that the Unitarians needed to do because they had a race problem overall in general. You know, there was, there was some congregations that were, that were integrated and everybody was getting, uh, getting along great. And then there was other congregations that kept blacks out or kept, kept other minorities out and stayed white, majority white. And so this was them working through what was going, what was riling the country up 50 years ago was race and the civil rights movement. Okay. So I wanted to add some context to what Michael was talking about, that, that whole part. The other thing that I wanted to address with Michael's interview was, and, and I talked about it I touched on it briefly during the interview, was his complaint about taking reason out of the church and only focusing on social justice. I totally disagree with him on this okay It's not either or this it, it, I wrote a note to myself, it's not pie, okay? if if you want to work on social justice issues, you can still do that and still do this tolerance what he was talking about. He was talking about a lack of tolerance. You could still because because at the base of it, a lot of social justice issues are rooted in, uh, uh, Christian nationalism and, and racist policies supported by uh, religious beliefs, and you have to have you have to have a reaction to that. The fact that the UUA does not have a specific racial justice pillar is telling, and the fact that they were supposed to have taken care of this before uh, since 1987 and they haven't. That's why they're going through this whole process. And I really think that Michael's just upset that they're not going to specifically name humanism as a source of knowledge for the church. And as I mentioned in the the interview, was those values that they want to possibly adopt instead of the pillars, those are humanist values. You know, you're not going to take away the fact that that the there is a humanist history in the in the Unitarian Church, but that ship has sailed a long time ago. And and when you have a church and you have to support ministers and staff and buildings and property, you have to bring people in. And if you ignore uh, the nuns, the people who may still believe in a superior being. Or may still believe in the supernatural, but they just don't like organized religion. And you ignore them, you're you're essentially cutting your own throat. Because if if humanism was so in, in, entwined and in, integral to Unitarian, the Unitarian Church, it would still be a uh, a positive force today, and it's not. Um, um, and we see that with the god talk and the fact that they hire defrocked ministers from other religious organizations and and they have a water ceremony and a water ceremony sometimes, a water ceremony you know and a spring ceremony and things like that they do a lot of churchy stuff and 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 so you know ha- talking about reason in that, context is you're not you're not having you're not having reason in that context okay and so I really think that you know that ship has sailed it's not coming back and he even admitted it's not coming back and as I said in my example 20 years ago I did not feel welcome in in a particular congregation and again it's it's going to be congregations you know the UUA if it ever gets its act together and, and, and does this rehash of their, their bylaws and, and everybody gets on the same page, then you might see it in, in across the board. But right now it's, it's because of the independence of each congregation, it's going to be different. You're going to have a different experience depending on who you go go to. Like, like if you go up to congregations in Minneapolis area, the Minnesota area, they're going to be more humanistic than if you go to su- one that's in the s- southern part of the country where they're they have more experience with the supernatural s- religions all right and then the other thing i wanted to touch on <laughs> i've gone on way too long on this uh, what i wanted to touch on was michael bringing up crt and in identity politics and i will repeat that those are not humanist frames those are not being reasonable Uh, Those are dog whistles, complete dog whistles. You know, he he goes on and he talks about that he wants to see a return of tolerance. And the thing is, you cannot claim to be open to all people and welcoming to all people and not be welcoming to all people. So when you start talking and complaining about uh, critical race theory and identity politics, you are not being welcoming to all people. You know, he talked about the dignity and worth of all people. You cannot have the dignity and worth of all people in mind when you complain about identity politics. And, and you know, we're, for example, in the Unitarian Church, okay? Michael, he's a Unitarian. There's Unitarians in his church, okay? But let's say Michael likes to read mystery novels. And somebody that sits next to him on a Sunday likes cooking book, cookbooks, okay? So Michael says, you know, we should have a program about mystery novels. Well, the person sat next to him that likes cookbooks says, "No." No. You know, you're not being welcoming. You're not being tolerant. You know, that's how that works. And it's not that they're breaking the church up. It's just that they want they want the place that they spend a lot of their time and effort to address some of the issues that they're interested in. It's like, uh, I call them special interest groups. You know, you can have uh, African-American special interest group. You can have an Italian special interest group. Uh, at the one congregation that I spent some time at. They had a Buddhist group. They had a pagan group. Uh, you see that all over in the Unitarian, uh, infrastructure. You see these different, different groups and it's all about their, first of all, they're all Unitarians. So they all buy into the pillars and the, and the sources, but they have other, other issues that they enjoy. That's why there's humanist groups in Unitarian churches. They call them uh, UU humanists, you know, and it's to cover that. And it's not, and that's how they're being tolerant. That's how they're celebrating the dignity and worth of everyone. But when you start complaining about critical race theory, which is a conservative talking point, and identity politics, which is meant to degrade groups of people that is not being tolerant that is not celebrating the worth and dignity of everyone so while michael made some good points about the church and and how it needs to it needs to evolve for one thing it needs to change and if it's going to drop humanism and these other modes of knowing and replace them with different words then it, 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 it it's going to do it you know it's a democratic organization you get enough people to vote your way, it's going to change. And he just needs to, (laughs) he just needs to get on board. So the last thing I'm going to say about this is that even though I am not a Unitarian, I will, I'm going to support really pretty much any change that they're going to be, as long as they don't start celebrating Jesus and having signs of the cross and re- returning those kind of icons. And, you know, we're gonna find places where we can work together since I'm a secular humanist. Um, there's gonna be some religious humanists at these UU churches. We're gonna find some commonality. We're gonna be able to work together, and that's how it, need- it should be. But, you know, it's gonna be social justice focused because it should be, it's going to be racial justice focused because it should be. And then that way we can all build a better tomorrow. That's what, that's the important point. That's the important point we need to do.
0: Thank you for listening. For more information about the topics in this episode, please visit the episode page at glasscityhumanist.show. Glass City Humanist is an outreach of the Secular Humanists of Western Lake Erie. Sholee can be reached at humanistswle.org. Glass City Humanist is hosted, written, and produced by Douglas Berger, and he's solely responsible for the content. Our theme music is Glass City Jam, composed using the Amplify Studio. See you next time!